Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. In a world where action movies are constantly exploding at the box office, our heroes take on the monumental task of dissecting and analyzing all aspects of action movies to truly understand what it takes to make a great action film. Ben Bateman, Andrew Guy, in a Popcorn Talk Network exclusive, this is Action Movie Anatomy. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online network that I've taken to talking movies and all things movie related. I'm your host today, Ben Bateman, joined today by my trusted co-host, Mr. Andrew Guy in the pink shirt and the fake Burberry tie. It's not a Burberry. It's real. It's real. It's not. It's not. Okay, the Burberry, yeah. Burberry store. Colin Trevolo. <laughs> uh, what we do on this show echoes to eternity. Yeah, if you guys can't yeah. tell. <laughs> well, let's, let's introduce all of our guests before we get into the film. All right, fine. I'm Andrew Guy. Hi. Glad to be back. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks, Ben. Are you prepared today? Uh, I am very prepared for this. He's let's been get, preparing for years. I yeah. was born to do this episode. I was born ready. <laughs> so I'll tell you else was born ready is Miss Sarah Stratton, the first time guest on Action Movie Anatomy. Welcome was, to the show. I, I normally feel ready, but that boom just kind it's, of scared it's me. It's a big boom. It's a it big does. boom. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even realize that it was my thing for a while until I watched the beginning of a bunch of our episodes and I realized that I did it on like nine episodes in a row. And now it's my thing. And now you just own it. Now I own the boom. Do you only own the boom on this show or do you kind of walk through life with the boom? Like if you go to my Twitter page, it's like saying boom on my podcast since 1979. It's like boom, wheatgrass shot. Yeah, boom. By the way, guys, I know we mentioned we we would never reference Tom Cruise again, but do you guys realize that his Twitter says running in movies since Uh, 1981? That's like my favorite. That's like the best Twitter description I've ever heard in my life. Nobody's watching that's anymore. That's good. Now, yeah, everyone stopped. Everyone's <laughs> gone now. You've he's, given, he's given running lessons to other oh, actors. I believe it. He's, he's the best. He's the greatest runner on film. All right, let's look, we, we digress. Today, guys, we are doing anything else. This is Sarah Stratton. One more time, just in case anybody's wondering. We went on a tangent. Today we were doing Gladiator. Uh, this is your favorite movie of all time. This is your favorite movie of all time, and I like it a lot. And you like it a lot? <laughs> God, man. Look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm going to hijack happened, the show. What happened was this. Uh, we do movies on this show that refer to four basic rules in the action movie world. Okay? Yeah. So, 1981 or later, that's not even a rule. That's just... We, we could go beyond that, but it's hard to find movies that really stand up. They don't really feel like the same type of movies. The four rules that we stick with are, number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Rule number two... The hero and the villain are always the smartest people, or things, or beings, or aliens, or dinosaurs in the room. Rule number three, the hero is always a police, military, or political figure. And rule number four, there's at least one explosion. Today's film, Gladiator, best picture at the Academy Awards in 2000, fits all those rules perfectly. And and yet you were opposed to it. I'll tell you why. And yet. We have these rules, but I really feel personally that tone is king. Like, I, I think about the movies we do on this show. Some, some examples of movies we've done and we will do. Point Break, The Rock, Speed, Con Air, Terminator 2, Predator, even, even a movie like Gone in 60 Seconds. They all have the same tone. They yeah. feel like this one kind of movie. Movies that would come out, there would be no expectation to win an Oscar. Movies that would come out, there's no, there's no franchised character like a Captain America or a source material like Lord of the Rings. It's like, even in Terminator 2's case, you've got a character that came from a previous film, but it's a franchised movie. Right. Action movies. 
not action dramas, not action Oscar-winning movies. And in memory, to me, this movie didn't feel like that. This movie, Gladiator, felt like it was an Oscar winner. It was just way too high quality. Yeah, I mean, let's say we did this show in 2000. We would not do this movie on the show. No or if this movie was remade now, we wouldn't do it because it would take itself too seriously or back then it would have been too serious of a movie to do on the show. Yes. The feel when you go back and watch this movie. Now, this movie's 15 years old, which makes me feel kind of old. Yep. Um, but it's 15 years old. It's dated. The things are... It has a different feel to it. It's not... Like, it's not Oscar bait anymore. No. It's a great 90s, early 2000s action movie. It It's a higher quality movie than most of the movies we do on this show. Yes. It was better in watching it. It wasn't like I watched it and I was like, this is a piece of crap. No. Uh, but I don't think that The Rock's a piece of crap. And a lot of people do. Like, this movie is way cornier and way more 90s action yeah. than I ever could have imagined. Uh, and we will get into that as we talk about thesis statements and whatnot. But that is why we're doing it on the show. And I feel comfortable doing it on the show. There's a lot of amazing trivia. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. An incredible production stuff that will explain why it qualifies. But before we do any of that, let's watch the trailer because the trailer makes it look like a huge '90s piece of crap. I haven't seen this in so long. The trailer actually makes it look—it's yeah, awful. Again, though, this is back when trailers were not great yet. Yeah, and clearly. Oh Just man, that. Just the start right there. The general, the general. Oh. <laughs> right? Yeah, like oh wow, black on I'm white or white on black. This Times New Roman. <laughs> Yeah. You hear the music? Um, yeah, you hear the music? Kind of. Listening to it, you can kind of hear pirates. Oh, yeah, pirates. you can hear it. I mean, Hans Zimmer, he did pirates, yeah. he did The Rock. It's nearly did. identical yeah, to yeah. pirates. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Who is he? Who is he? My name is Gladiator. My name is Gladiator. Boom. Husband to a murdered wife. Oh man, I don't know who you're talking about. This is the greatest trailer I've ever seen. I, yeah, I didn't know what you're talking about either. This is so exciting. <laughs> so there was an explosion for you. There he oh, is. yeah. Fireball. This is pure excitement. This is the greatest movie of all time. It's being sold as an action movie to you right now in the it trailer. Is. They're it saying is. this is. It's not. They, they are showing me exhilaration. They're not showing me dramatic monologues, yeah. even though it also succeeds in that area. Yeah, they throw. They give you the, some so of the sweetest lines. The sweetest. Yeah. Russell, Maximus, Maximus, Gladiator. Look at that. So, God, I think we can all agree that that if that movie were to come out today, they would show you far less of the action. Yeah, it would be two minutes and forty three seconds long. It would be far more dramatic, oh, yeah. way more melodramatic. And they'd they show, would... like, the scene of him, like, holding his wife or son's feet. Yes. Mm-hmm. They'd show him, like, riding through all beaten up. And, and they do that. Hand. In the revised trailers, the ones that were released in, like, 2014, the ones that are, like, selling the remastered Blu-ray, that's right. what the trailers look like. Yeah. Is it the hand through the field? Yes. yes. A lot of, of that stuff. not even his hand, but... So, I think it's very interesting. Uh, I want to get into thesis statements right away, because... I do feel that that will kind of explain all of our positions on this movie. And I think it's a really interesting one. I mean, it's polarizing in a lot of ways. 
I'm mostly sold. There's still parts of me that when I watch it, I'm like, I'm excusing it a little bit, but it, it qualifies for the show. Perfect. I, at this point, I agree. Uh, before we do that, though, I do want to let everybody know that they should check us out on iTunes. They should review us and rate us on iTunes. We have Action Movie Anatomy mugs that should be here in about two weeks. The mugs are coming. We've mentioned them several times. The order's taking a little while. We're going to be giving them away uh, in random drawings to people that interact with us on YouTube and iTunes. But the thing that we have to do, the baseline is we need 10 written reviews on iTunes. Look up Action Movie Dummy on iTunes. Go to the go to the thing. Leave us five. Give us five more. We got five this week since we talked yeah. to you guys last week about it. That's right. Give us five more. Rate us. Review us. Let us know what you think of the show. Be honest. Let Be us honest. know if you don't like the show. Yeah. We just need 10. Uh, and we will start giving them away. Aside from that, please check out the other shows on the Popcorn Talk Network. Anatomy of a Movie uh, is the closest thing to what we do. They just do all kinds of movies and a much more systematic breakdown. Yeah. Um, and they are doing this week. I know the Transporter film refueled the new one. That's going to be on mm-hmm. Friday. So check that out. Uh, and aside yeah, from... a great show. I had fun when I sat in on that panel, although you weren't there that day. Yeah. I pulled I, in I, for her. I disappear sometimes. Stratton does <laughs> a good amount of anatomy. Happens. I like... Go into my Just, little hole in my room. Yeah, Hobbit. Hermit. Yeah, the not Hobbit. a Hobbit. I Her feet are not hairy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That. Okay, okay. We're getting off subject. So please, are iTunes we? reviews, ratings, and let's get into thesis statements. So this is a part we like to interact with you guys on the show. If you're watching, let us know. This is a bold statement. Something that's just like, it's not like this is my favorite this, that, or the other, or like that scene where it's one of the coolest. It's like, this is the best this, or this is the first time this has ever happened. Yeah. It's often kind of rooted in hyperbole. And so if you can come up with one of your own, let us know. What are your guys' thesis statements? Ladies you first. To, I'll start. Yeah. Um, this was a hard thesis statement just because I do love this movie so much. So I came up with Gladiator is a film that best combines nostalgia, inspiration, and entertainment for me when I watch it. Like, totally. Just more than any movie? Elements. Um, that comes readily to mind, yes. Because it combines. I'm also a huge Star Wars fan, okay. so a lot of those so elements are also in that franchise. Yeah. But for as a singular movie, as one that doesn't combine itself in a franchise world. Right. Gladiator, yes, combines nostalgia, inspiration, like scope and entertainment value in one film. Yeah. I love it. Basically it's your favorite movie of all time, is what you're saying. <laughs> it's the greatest it's movie the best. you've ever I, I feel, do love it, it makes her feel the best. It yeah. makes me feel wonderful. Fair enough. Okay. I'm like giddy over here. Yeah. I'm just so excited to be talking about this movie. This is like how it's going to be when we do Point Break. Yeah. I, I'm like, going to lose shut my up, I'm going to lose yeah. my mind. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a hard time keeping it together. Uh, for me, sorry, this is the greatest action drama in which both of the leads give their greatest performances of their career. Of all time. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty solid. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. I like it. <laughs> I haven't slept in a week, okay? I've been thinking about this every night. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> does Russell Crowe have a better performance in his career than this? Probably no. not. I mean, I feel like he the doesn't. biggest argument is Joaquin Phoenix because his career has taken such a turn yeah. over the last decade. But it's this role. Like I, when when I watched this as a kid, yeah, I was like, I hate that guy. Yeah, he's an asshole. I never want to see him in another movie again. Because when you're a kid, you don't really understand. Him. Yeah, you just like think you're, he's just a piece of shit. Yeah. But then you go through and you see his career and, and all the other things he's done. He's clearly a phenomenal actor. Yeah, but absolutely. this role, above all, even watching it now, 15 years later, it still has the same effect on me. Yeah, you still watch it. You're like, God, I hate you. I can't wait for you to die. Now I will that I know. give Spoiler him alert. the best performance of his career, but I will give Russell Crowe's definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Russell. I love Russell Crowe. Like he's he's been great in so many things. But when well, he I really was phenomenal in A Beautiful Mind. Yeah, I mean, The Insider is my favorite Russell Crowe movie. L.A. Confidential is incredible. I mean, I Master mean, and Commander. <laughs> do you like Master and Commander? <laughs> Noah. Cinderella Man. Uh, yeah. No, he's been great in a lot of movies, but I, it's just hard. It's like, you can't really... 
And this is also the movie that was a turning point in both their careers. Like, Russell Crowe was already on his way up. Yeah. But after this, it was like, I am the best leading man in film right now. He had a really good stretch. Yeah. He had a really good stretch. Same with for... Joaquin. Like, his career completely changed after this. Yeah. Huge. Um, all right. My, my thesis statement is that this is the only time that a movie that fits our genre has one best picture ever. Yeah. It's the only time. And I do think that it's because this movie was not intended to be as good as it was. And that's evidenced in everything we're going to talk about in the production yes. notes. This is an accidental Oscar winner. I feel like he just created a little box like around yeah. Gladiator, which allows him to do it on the show. He did. He's like, this one this, fits perfectly. This one. It's just the one. It, it It's true. I mean, when you look at the production notes, this film was a mistake. This, mo- this film was... It's not a mistake, but the, the success. A, the success was a, was a mistake. Yeah. The heart and the genuine nature of the acting is a mis- almost a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. Be- well, if you so when I was a kid, I used to go to the, these two local video stores from my dad's house, and I would like after high school, I would go just hang out. And I knew all the guys there. And they're all like big movie nerd critics, you know, whatever. We'd we'd chat about movies, and they were all cynical, and they were all like super super jaded, and you know, they they had all their weird B movies and they're in just video store guys. Yeah, I, mean, I, it's, I guess it's a different time. There's I no worked in a video store. There's no such thing as video stores anymore. So the younger generation doesn't even know what we're talking about. There's one in West Hollywood. You can find him. Yeah. There's one in West Hollywood, and he is the mastermind of movies. Okay. Okay. Idiots in Santa Monica is another one that still exists. But they're few and far between. So... For those of you that don't know, video stores were basically like Netflix, except the videos on the aisles, except and you, you had a bunch of things. burnout, burnout movie nerds that would work there. That you would like be like, "Do you have Gladiator?" And be like, "Leave!" Yeah. Like they just this is the kind of movie they hate because it's like popcorn, big action, Oscar winner, and they're like, "That's not even a good movie." It's the kind of people that tell you that like Shawshank Redemption's a bad movie or yeah. something like that. You're just like, "What are you just talking about?" Just a feel good movie. You're like, "No, it's one of the greatest movies of all time." Yeah. So with this one, I do remember when this came out, and in the years following. The attitude from a lot of those guys was like, that movie's so overrated. It's like just a big feel-good popcorn action movie. And me being like, no way. This movie's sweet. And then in the years, that's why. Yeah. But looking back on it now, I think... I don't think they were right. I mean, everyone likes this movie. This movie is completely... It's acceptable to all demographics. My mom has seen this movie so many times because I just had this playing in the background all day, every day growing up. And she loves it. It appeals to kids. It appeals to adults. It appeals to adult women. There's a great story. Like, this movie is for everybody. Yes. And that's why, again, it's like people like that. Vidiots, movie nerds, like people, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. They don't like movies that do that. If you look at, like, the 25 movies that won Best Picture around this movie, it's hard to... Like, There's this almost doesn't have a comp. Like, yeah. you talk about some of the movies in the, the five, six, seven, eight years following it. You've got, like, Million Dollar Baby, No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Like... I guess Return of the King, but that's like American the third Beauty, movie. Yeah, like, American Beauty. Before it, The English Patient. Yeah. Like, these are, I mean, Titanic, but that's, again, it's like a period piece romantic epic. Like, this is an action movie. Epic. It's a straight up action movie. Epic. Yeah, epic. So anyway, uh, that is sort of where I'm going with my thesis statement. Um, we are going to get into our fist pump moments. Fist pump moments, guys, there's a lot of them in this movie. And fist yes. pump moments are, it's not like the sweetest moment in the movie. It's your personal... It's like your personal FBI moment. I always describe yeah. it. If you're sitting on the couch and you're watching the movie and it's like 1 a.m., you've had a few drinks, there's no one around, and something happens, and you're like, is anybody else seeing this right yeah. now? Like, that's that's the moment. It could be anything. Uh, so, I'm going to start on this one. Please do. 
My fist pump moment is at the end when Commodus is fighting uh, is fighting Maximus and his sword gets knocked down and he goes and he's like Quintus sword and he doesn't do anything and he's like give me a sword and he's like sheathe your swords yeah. and you're like yes you're gonna die I, had, I actually had a physical fist pump watching it when that happened it's, it, Quintus is such a weasel yeah he like realizes he's like okay he's gonna die now I need to, I need to make sides with Maximus again because yep. I already screwed him over. He's, I disagree. I, he's a flip-flopping his, backstabber. He does flip-flop, but it's because he learned. He oh, learned no. that he made a mistake. He saw when he gets stabbed by Commodus in private. He went to sees and is like, I feel bad for you, and I, I realize that I'm serving an evil man. Because what if what if Commodus wins? Quintus gets executed immediately. Immediately. I think he's a, he's a flip-flopper. Well, I mean, at the same time, at the, he had the option in the beginning to channel, you know, like, mm-hmm. Quintus, why are you on? Like, he had, yeah. the, he had the chance to, to turn on him, but he didn't. So, Promise uh, me you look after my family. It's his arc. He learns his lesson. Yes. And he changes. I hate him. Come yeah, on. Yeah, Quintus's <laughs> arc is definitely what I was paying attention to in this movie. Get out of here. Uh, my fist pump moment is in the very beginning when he's taken off to get executed. Yeah. He's like, at least give me a clean death. Yep. A soldier's death. Yeah, like what is he gonna do right now? You know he's gonna kill. And then all he of them. kills all of them. He does the headbutt. He stabs him like holding the blade. Yeah, he cuts the dude's like head in half, and then he, of course, he throws the sword. What's he yell at him? Praetorian. Yeah, <laughs> and the guy's like the guy's like just like he's like drinking wine. He's like yeah, exactly. He's like this is not gonna end well for me, and then he just drives off to him. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I could give my fist pump moment just to the score. Of yes. coming in in like scene two, where it switches to the telltale gladiator sound. Right. But for me, it really comes in where I get the stillness and like that just need to have moment when he t- does the reveal after <sighs> turning his oh, back yeah. on Commodus. Yeah. I mean, that's. And he's like, no. And he goes back and he's just like, I am Maximus. Yeah, right. And does this whole. That moment yeah. every it's time incredible. reminds me it like why chills. I watch it, why I love these characters, and puts them face to face, and it shows you that. This is just going to build. This yeah. is just going to be more action drama. Let me ask you this. If that's your fist bump moment, yeah. and guys, I hope that we're not going off topic too much here because this is a moment that it's very important to me. Uh-huh. Uh, you're a huge Star Wars fan? Yes. My favorite moment in the history of Star Wars is, no, I want to be a Jedi like my father. Mm-hmm. I, I, I seriously, yeah. I get, and I get like, mm-hmm. I almost get teary-eyed, probably because I watched Jedi so many times as a kid. But that's the same moment. Yes. It's totally yes. the exact same energy, it's- everything. Right? It's the everything is escalating, and then there's yes. the reveal, and then instead of yeah, oh, the reveal, he's got, he's got the, the broken arrow in his hand, uh-huh. and he turns his back on him. You're just like, what is going to happen? And then he yeah. takes off the mask. Just the look when he turns around, you see Commodus's face. You're like, oh shit, yeah. here we go. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really good. I'm like clawing at my own hands. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm freaking out here. Okay, yeah. let's move on. All right, let's move on. <laughs> so uh, we're going to get into some, some uh, star profiles here. We're going to talk about where these guys were in their careers when this movie was made. Interesting one. We, we alluded to it a little bit. So we'll start with Russell Crowe. Three previous films listed here. We have The Insider. That's the Michael Mann. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not a biopic. It is sort of a biopic, but it's it's just it's based on a true story. Yeah. Uh, big tobacco scandal thriller. Awesome movie with Al Pacino. One of my favorite movies. Uh, Mystery Alaska from 1999, which I never saw. I haven't seen it. People I seem to like it, though. I don't know what Mystery Alaska is. It was one of those ones I had to like, look up because I was like, what is this? Yeah. Is it a hockey movie? Or am I making that up? I don't know. I can't it's, remember um, anything about it. I looked up something about like, it, but... Yeah, and then L.A. Confidential, it, which was 97. So he, he got Oscar nominations for L.A. Confidential and The Insider. Mm-hmm. So he was totally doing, like, the mid-30s leading man, I'm going to win an Oscar eventually thing. Right. Uh, and he knocked it out of the park, obviously. If those three of your four movies are L.A. Confidential, The Insider, and Gladiator, I'd say you were having you a pretty good okay. few years. You're having a good stretch. Yeah. Uh, and I do remember when this movie came out, Russell Crowe was, like, he was... 
low A or high B list at the yeah. time. He was like one of those, I guess, sort of, I guess, kind of like what Tom Hardy is right now. Yeah, I think he was yeah. a little more under the radar gunning for an Oscar yeah. type, you know. He's a little older, I think. Right? Hardy hasn't really been in contention for an Oscar yet. Huh. And mm-hmm. and Crow was definitely in contention for both of those films. In fact, didn't he did he win for LA Confidential, now that I'm remembering? Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll get back to for that. For supporting? Check. Yeah, can you check on that? Check so, uh, but but I do remember that the next movie that came out after this was Proof of Life. And it's mm-hmm. funny because I recall Proof of Life coming out and telling my dad, like, let's go see Proof of Life. And he was like, the reviews on the movie are horrible. Like, <laughs> that movie's apparently not good. We did Born last week, Born Identity. Um, it's a plug. You guys can check it out on the Popcorn Talk Network. It's last week's episode. <laughs> and Tony Gilroy, who wrote uh, Born Identity and as I just a total boss, also wrote Proof of Life. And I was assuming that maybe I had missed that movie and I should watch it. And then I looked at the reviews and it's like 50%. Like, yeah, I, I think I watched part of it and it wasn't very, very yeah. exciting. All I, for me, Gladiator was really what introduced me to Russell, Russell Crowe. Crow. I Same. did not see his movies before. I, mean, I was 12 years old, you know. And this was one of the first rated R movies I ever saw, was Gladiator. And from that, I just know that in tracking Russell Crowe's career, it's always been he, since Gladiator, he tries to find that niche market, whether it's in movies like Noah or Robin, Robin Hood. Hood yeah. He is pushing for that epic with heart because he's, he's never the, succeeded he's in the so same good way. at it like every every line he delivers in this movie you're just like yes like the, yeah. that's who that's his pinnacle that's mm-hmm. the best that russell crowe gets that's russell crowe it is russell crowe-iest as we call it as and we always say uh the smartest guy in the room effect mm-hmm. he's he's russell crowe is never the smartest guy in the room in the way that clooney is he's not charming in the right. same way this is his smartest guy in the room moment absolutely mm-hmm. i'm the most badass guy in the room uh he was nominated for beautiful mind and the insider and he won for gladiator so not like no okay there we go um so, uh, yeah, I would agree with you guys, actually. I hadn't... In 2000, I hadn't seen L.A. Confidential or The Insider. Mm, yeah, Both either. of those were movies that I went back and watched after the fact. Because of what he did in this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is, again, why this movie is so digestible. It's You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those reasons that, like... I think a good example that you could compare it to, not in terms of style, but in terms of its likability... Mission Impossibles? No. It was the Argo. In the way that Argo, when it came out, everybody yeah. was sort of like... This movie's really good. It's really enjoyable and entertaining. But is it really going to win Best Picture? Mm-hmm. And I think Gladiator was kind of the same way. Like, this movie's really good. The performances are great. But are we really going to give Best Picture to this movie? I could see that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing that this has going for it that Argo doesn't is that this is much higher paced. Yeah, well, it's it obviously you know, way more ADD epic. crowd. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's that same sort of thing. Some movies, you know, The English Patient or something, you know that's going to win Best Picture. No Country for Old Men, right? Yeah, they just feel like that type of movie. Yeah, I mean, but even- this movie felt like that type of movie in 2000, I think. But I also think what adds to why we're still talking about it and why it's memorable is for a Best Picture and for Russell Crowe, the dialogue is very much yeah. cheesy, rememberable. Yeah. So for it has some of the most quoted lines ever. And if you look at where we mostly get quotes from, it's not from movies that are winning Oscars. It's true. It's, it's from, from movies that we do on this show. <laughs> movies like The Rock. Movies like Terminator 2. Movies like Gladiator. Okay. Yeah. Which is why it fits on the show. <laughs> no, it's on the show. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Now, Joaquin Phoenix was not on the same upward no. trajectory. This is definitely the movie that broke him open. I mean, look at these movies. Clay Pigeons. Mm-hmm. I've seen Clay Pigeons probably in like 1998. I don't remember he's it. He's also very young. Yeah. Very yeah. young at this point. He's in his 20s. Yeah. Um, and to have a... Think about actors now who are in their 20s and are getting nominated. Yeah. You're looking at actors like 
Jennifer Lawrence, right, yeah. who was wowed for how young she was to be at that caliber. He got there also at that same age. That is such an achievement. Yeah. And it still lasts. Right. It's something that he, you look back and you don't knock that performance at all. Yeah, when you get movies where a performance is timeless over a mm-hmm. decade and a half, that's when you really, like, you know that this this movie is not aged. Even though parts of it have aged, but, like, when performances don't age, that's yeah. when you know you have a great film. What's funny, so 8mm, which is... <laughs> Sweetest so uh, Nick, Nick Cage film from <laughs> uh, and then The Yards, which I never watched. I saw it. But if you think about this movie in 2000, I remember seeing it and thinking, and then in a few years after it, like thinking like, God, this guy's such like a sniveling little bitch, yeah. and just like I hated him. I, I was like hated him, but I I didn't I didn't hate him like think like he did a great job. I hated him like Same. he's unwatchable. Like I hate him in this movie. Like ugh, it just it makes me. And then like, but you watch his career go, and you're like. Oh, he's capable of all this crazy. So he that is was a phenomenal actor. That was just a great performance, is what yeah. it turned out. And then on top of that, his career has obviously flourished. Yeah, yeah. But it, they always say that when you copy someone, right. it's flattery. And the people who have referenced him and this performance as inspiration for their roles, everything from like Joffrey in Game of yeah. Thrones to older actors, like. People look at this role yeah. for context, for mm. inspiration, Absolutely. and I think that is remarkable. Yeah, I would say that's I would say that's fairly true. I mean, this movie inspired a lot of things to happen. Mm-hmm. Not only other people's performances, but the other movies that came after, like Troy, Alexander, <laughs> King Arthur, Robin Hood. You know, these movies that are all mostly bad, other a than Troy. Bunch of really bad movies. Yeah. Exodus, Gods, I, and Kings, I mean, Alexander, I also watch King Arthur. <laughs> See, yeah. I love Troy. So I, I mean, there's always there's definitely there's people that. Kingdom of Heaven sure. is another one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of high-quality <laughs> movies. I mean, this movie was revolutionary. Yeah. Agreed. At the, and it changed the genre. As they said, this was like... It's often credited as the, uh, the thing that brought back the sword and the sandal genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about how this movie got made. People involved. Writers, directors, producers, blah, blah, blah. So this is an interesting one because... This movie was rewritten a lot. And the people involved in this movie are... Was it even written? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't... This movie's more like a, the group of people that you would be involved in, like... Independence Day. Or like, like a Michael Bay movie. of the beginning when we talked about Independence Day. And what was the other movie that was just storyboards? Mad Max. Right. But that was different because George Miller doing storyboards is very different than David Franzoni. So David Franzoni. Let's start with the writer. Yes. Let's start with the writer who originally pitched the idea. Okay, so this is a guy who, based on the success of Amistad, the period piece from 1997, and the movie that helped put DreamWorks on the map, was given a three-picture deal. Now, this was the first movie in his three-picture deal, and you'd think, hats off, man. Great start. You won the Oscar. You wrote all this great dialogue, and like you had this great script. So he went on after this to make King Arthur in 04, a huge flop, and a huge turd. And he was the sole writer on it, by the way. And then he got his deal pulled, it seems. He didn't get his third movie. No. Or if he is supposed to, it's still in the works. <laughs> but, I mean, he switched agencies recently. Like, he's working on period piece TV development stuff. Like, for all intents and purposes, Franzoni's not a good writer. He's not. And the- when you go through and you do the research on this film, this... This what you see on the film in the movie is not what he wrote. No, they went into production with thirty pages written, yeah. and they kept rewriting the script on set constantly. Yeah, and people like Richard Harris, he was like, "I'm not even going to look at the new lines. I can't be bothered to memorize new lines. I'm sticking with the original ones." And actors and like Russell Crowe were insulting the writers. It oh, feels yeah. like luck. And I thought about this because when you do research, it just seems like there was so much fighting on set between right. the creatives and the talent. If this was happening now, right. with all of the bad word of mouth just on the making of 
people wouldn't see this movie no. just on like principle of the, like, like Fantastic want, yeah. Four drama. Right. Like it's it impacts box office numbers now, and this has all been hidden, and everyone just looks at this movie as a golden trophy, a freaking classic. And, right. But it's like. No. I mean, what's How this was made was messy <laughs> and yeah, dramatic. Ugly. And people were unhappy on set. What was right. his direct quote? He's like, your writing is garbage, but I'm the greatest actor of all time. I can make anything sound good. I think I'm the best actor in the world, so I yeah. can make any lines work. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, that's what Crow said probably one of the many times before he stormed off set. Angry. Absolutely. Because he was like, he signed on to the movie because he's like, I want to work with Ridley Scott. It's a hundred million dollar period. Sounds like a sweet character. Shows up, and then he's like, I, I I read stuff where he would go on set some days and would be so frustrated because they were supposed to shoot a scene and he didn't even have he didn't have lines like he right. didn't actually have lines to say. They were like, well, this is the this is what we're going to do in the scene. Um, setups are going to take all day, and then you'll say some stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you'll swing a sword. And what would you say in that moment? Like that's the kind of stuff that was happening, which is the testament to how great these actors are. Like Joaquin Phoenix and Russell Crowe have so many improvised lines in this, and the, and one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is when he's sitting there talking to Marcus. Surrealist. Yeah. And he's sitting there in his in his tent. He's like, tell me about your home. Yeah. That whole thing is improvised based off of where he grew up in Australia. Yeah, it's his Talking real house. The farm and the soil and the trees. You're like, God, this is this is like I feel like I'm there. Yeah. You're like, oh, that wasn't written. He made that up. He really was the greatest actor in the world at the time. It's awesome. Yeah. Daniel Day Lewis was sleeping probably. Yeah. What? In two thousand? This yeah, was he like was this, off the map right then. This was his hiatus. His first yeah. one between the boxer and Gangs of New York yeah. when he disappeared for like six years. Um God, I love that guy. Yeah, he's the man. Daniel Lewis. <laughs> so uh so David Franzoni, we don't need to I mean He's credited as writing Gladiator. We're not going to talk about him because he didn't write all of the lines yeah, that yeah. we're talking about. And who knows? Like, I mean, you know, obviously we weren't there, so we don't know how much, right. how many of the onset rewrites he was a part of. I mean, maybe there's more that he was involved. I mean, in. he at least know, gave the outline for one of the greatest movies of all time. Exactly, so we'll give him some credit. Um, so the movie was produced by Douglas Wick, Walter F. Parks, Bronco Lustig, Laurie McDonald, and about five other people, including we'll, Ridley Scott. Including Ridley Scott. So we'll talk about a few of them. Uh, we try not to spend too much time. Just like, I mean going off on tangents about producers because for the most part you go off credits and what you read about them we right. don't know that if much about really these guys wanted, you mm-hmm. could go on your own Wikipedia tangent and figure out everything about all these guys yeah so basically the movie was originally pitched by Parks and Wick to Scott and it was off of this painting uh, which is called Thumbs Down and we have a picture of it here we can show you guys and that's that's essentially what the the whole like the intrigue for the movie was, was this painting. Absolutely. So we want to pitch the self-contained story that's loosely based on history, but has a bunch of new characters written, and it's just the tone they wanted to show. And Ridley Scott really liked it. He didn't want to do the classic sword in the sandal cliches of, you know, eating grapes yeah, and drinking, drinking goblets. Wine, yeah. He wanted something a little more violent, something a little bit more accurate. And so they went into production on the film based basically on the pitch and this painting. Yeah. They succeeded. It looks like Titus. Yeah, yeah right? It's mm-hmm. awesome. It It's fantastic. It is, it is. I mean, and that's it, that's one of those things that we find out when we talk about movies that get made and how they get made. It's like the slightest spark of inspiration can come from answering a question about another movie, looking at a painting, yeah. a passing by a conversation, like, and that's, there you go. That's what sparked Gladiator. So, just more proof that this movie is much closer to a 90s big budget action movie than it is an Oscar winner. Aside from Ridley Scott, who, for the record, is a genius, and you can't say that Anything really Scott touches has a chance of being absolute solid gold. I mean, two of his first three movies, Alien and Blade Runner, are considered to be 
two or three of the greatest and most influential 25 movies ever made. They're at the pinnacles of their two genres. I was going to say, he's, he's a genre maker, too. He yeah, doesn't yeah. just stick to one niche. He makes movies that are at the top of their individual genres. Yeah, so he's a visionary. So if Ridley Scott's involved, like, it's not his fault that this movie is, is what it is. I mean, it is and it isn't. Like, right. The other guys involved, though, Douglas Wick and Walter F. Parks, the movies that they worked on in the 90s, aside from Amistad, were movies like Twister and Men in Black. Uh, th- those are the kind of movies that you were going off of. You have Bronco Lustig, who had worked on Sophie's Choice and Schindler's List, so he's kind of like the Oscar pedigree that comes in to work on this movie. But for the most part, you're dealing with guys that that weren't they weren't Oscar guys. No, they were action guys, and they pitched this movie to be. And they a, were just people that just wanted to make movies. Yeah, you know? this is a hundred million dollar movie that went into production with a ton of sets in three different countries and thirty pages of script. Yeah, and it won Best Picture. Like. What? I know. I know. It's a man. magic combination. It, it's one of those things. It's just it's somehow everything fell into place perfectly with this movie. And it's again, it's a lot of it's to do with the actors and the quality of the. I mean, you have Richard Harris. Yeah. You got Crow. You got Phoenix. You got Neil Nielsen. Is that how you say your last name? Richard? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And then uh, you know Oliver Oliver Reed. Yeah, Oliver these are Reed. Massive. These are incredibly successful, like classically trained actors. Yeah, Reed was like, it's crazy to think that Reed, so he, every, I think it's, it's fairly infamous at this point that he died during filming, that CGI had replaced a uh, solid like minute or two of his scenes. Um, but he was a guy who was famous from like the 50s, 60s, and mm-hmm. 70s. And really the stuff that he had done in the, the 10 or 15 years before this film, be, I mean, a lot of like B-movie stuff and, and stuff that doesn't stand out. But he was like in the original Three Musketeers franchise. You know, he showed up in the sequel to The Sting Sting 2. I right. did not know. Uh, yeah, I mean, but he was already elderly at the time they made the yeah. movie. And that was 15 years ago. And he died during filming. So it's weird to think that his, really Oliver Reed as an actor in his career is like 30, 40 years old. Yeah. Most people watching this probably have like no concept. I really didn't have much of a concept. Yeah, I mean, he's, it's again, he's one of those old school actors. Yeah, unless you guys are huge fans of Oliver Reed, call me out. <laughs> Let us know. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. He, I mean, the dude, he died of a heart attack. And, and Please do not take this the wrong way, but he was a hothead. He was always angry. He was always getting in fights. Like, yeah, yeah. You can't do that to your body forever, man. Like, he, he doesn't even. He didn't even audition for roles anymore. But he reluctantly auditioned for this one because well, he, he got kind of pulled onto this by the people, and they rushed certain filming because they did know about his health issues. And then on set, he was even trying to fight someone, didn't he? Like he trying to fight Russell, Russell Crowe. Crow. Yeah, they, they really hated each can other. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> A rather old gentleman right. who they're rushing filming because of your your health. Right. Then being the person who's inciting fight fights. You. Yeah. And Russell Crowe isn't he kind of notorious for being a little bit of a hothead Absolutely. too? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, maybe at this point he was he was a little more calm because he wasn't Russell Crowe yet. Yeah. Because I know that that happens a lot mm-hmm. to people once right. they start to hit success. Yeah. You're right. Christian Bale. Yeah, classic. (laughs) Classic. Um, So we mentioned Ridley Scott just a little bit, but we can talk about him a little further. So he, Sir Ridley Scott, by the way, was knighted in 2003 for his work and contribution in British film um, by Queen Elizabeth II. And he is a guy that, I mean, to say that Ridley Scott is anything other than... uh, He's probably one... Hi, Steven. Hi, Steven. (laughs) He's probably one of the 20 greatest directors of all time. Yeah, he definitely is. I mean, if you've made Alien and Blade Runner and Gladiator, there's no no contest. There's nothing that anyone can say. I mean, yeah, everyone makes bad movies. Right. I I would give, yes, top 
20, maybe even like top 15. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of obviously very visionary directors. It's just when you sort of think about... Like, we'll talk just a little bit about each, a couple of these, like, the important ones, right? Like, Alien was his second movie, I believe. I think The Duelists or If it wasn't his second, it was very early on, in 1979. Mm -hmm. Alien, not only is it responsible for the creation of an entire franchise, but it's referenced by many people often as the scariest movie of all time. It, even by today's standards, is, like, it's a thing of legend. And then three Mm -hmm. years later, you go and make the movie that is even, I would say, in some cases, more important to its own genre. Blade Runner is... Well, to its genre, absolutely. Is pretty much the most famous science fiction film ever made. Right. Like, it's the most iconic. It's the beginning of a genre. It's... it. People never stop referencing Blade Runner. And there's even, by the way, a sequel to Blade Runner that's still in the works. But where Harrison Ford would reprise his role. Interestingly enough. <laughs> Where's my family? Where's my... <laughs> We're home, Chewie. Wrong, wrong movie, bud. Wrong, uh, wrong movie, both of those. But uh, it, when those are your first two movies, right? So then, like, the 80s, you know, he has a couple movies that aren't, aren't so good here and there, but then he comes back with Thelma and Louise, yeah, which absolutely. is huge, right? Super iconic. Also, but looking at the trajectory of his career and what he was coming out with... He maybe it was just the time he was in, but so many times now when we do see a director that puts a movie at the forefront of its genre, they get pigeonholed into that genre. Yeah, right. whether Absolutely. it's by the studio system or their own accord, they that's what they become known for. Right, they make connections in that area. They expand, and that's where they're getting money. Yeah, he did not back into that corner and really did try and target by going from Blade Runner to Thelma and Louise. Like, yeah. It, that takes bravery, man. Yeah. And also, like, he obviously wanted some sort of new inspiration. But his prowess, like, how he interacts with females, males, yeah. aliens, everything. He does a great job. Black Hawk Down. Like, that was kind of, again, that was around that same time where war epics became massive. And, and Black Hawk Down changed the way those movies were done. I mean, Absolutely. that movie gets referenced all the time nowadays mm-hmm. uh, with, with current war films. But, I mean, to call him just a great director doesn't even do justice to the fact that he's as prolific as he is. Because he's right. a guy, when you look at the scale of the movies that he's making, movies like Kingdom of Heaven or Gladiator, mm-hmm. $100 million epics with gigantic sets all over the world. Massive and stars. He works. Some directors work for six years on movies like that. Right. He'll work for a year, and he has two movies come out in the same year sometimes. Yeah. He'll go from Gladiator to Black Hawk Down to Matchstick Men to... He just goes, and he goes, and he goes. He's 77 years old. He's about to shoot Prometheus 2. Yeah. I mean, there's the second... Pro- the, Friggin' Prometheus. That movie was enormously epic. Yeah. So it's it's it crazy. It wasn't one of my favorites, but it was it was awesome. It has its moments. Absolutely. The trailer is far better than the movie. Yes. Another one of those sad yeah. case for the trailers. But uh, the only other things that are super, super relevant to discuss with Ridley Scott... I mean, it's like saying the only things that are relevant to talk about with Michael Jordan or something. It's like, you can give the highlights. You but can only talk for so long. Yeah. yeah. His brother, Tony Scott, is a favorite of ours on this show. Love Tony Scott. R.I.P. And Which, he, uh, Lisa Gerard also did the music for Man on Fire. Yes. She did the music on this was Hans Zimmer. Yeah, and it even has one of the passages. It's like the same. It sounds the like same. Like verbatim. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really funny. We <laughs> were um, like sitting there watching, we're like, wait, where is this from? Like, this is from Gladiator. Why is the Gladiator music in Man <laughs> on Fire? Yeah, it t- totally sounds the same. But uh, as well as being Tony Scott's brother and... Uh, who is also a very visual director. So, cause they both yeah. came from commercials. Mm-hmm. Ridley Scott was a little older and he had a uh, business going, doing high, like big budget commercials in the seventies that Tony kind of, Tony kind of got on board with and they filmed, they started a company called Scott Free back in the nineties that produced a lot of films together. But, um, Ridley Scott directed this Apple ad in 1984 that I thought was really interesting that I went and watched. And it's, it's a direct homage to the film 1984 to like the story, the mm-hmm. dystopian. And it's, 
like this woman, I think she was, she was an athlete. She's running with a hammer, uh, towards like a bunch of like, you know, drone looking people looking at like a wizard of Oz type of screen. And she like throws the hammer and it explodes. And it's like, Apple is coming. What it will introduce in 1984. And that commercial is a really big deal. Huge. I mean, Apple, we know Apple today, but back then for that market, those commercials were groundbreaking. Oh, Showed during the Super Bowl. a million dollar commercial. In Just 1984. Yeah. That's yeah. bigger than a lot of movies. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. But So so back then, like, that was... He even made an enormous impact. I mean, it's, it's like a watershed moment in advertising is what you read. And he was making an impact in advertising. Before, and that's two years after Blade Runner. Like, the guy's just, it's nuts. You made this commercial? You know that movie Blade Runner? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that guy did. That guy just made the commercial yeah. that you just watched in the Super Bowl that blew everyone's minds. Absolutely. It's like a, it's like a minute 42 seconds or like something Christopher like that. Christopher Nolan directed a Super Bowl commercial this year. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise it's me at all. happen. Wouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, 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 that's sort of the, the people involved in this movie, writer, mm-hmm. directors, producers, and whatnot. Um, Ridley, Bronco Lustig, very relevant. The rest of them. Yeah. They've all, I mean, a lot of them have had big careers since. You have, like, I think, I want to say it's Parks, or one of them is working on the Divergent franchise. But the is, writer, you go and talk about Franzoni, and his career is literally, like, yeah, he non-existent. Yeah, didn't do much. Yeah. There's four or five other producers that, you know, no disrespect, we just don't have the time to, to delve into everybody. Um, you want to talk production notes a little bit? Yeah, let's talk about production notes. You I mean, know, this was this was your section. You did a little bit of the reading here. I did a little bit of the reading on this. Uh, one thing that was super cool about this film is that... All the costumes and the set pieces were made by the crew. And there were so there were many so costumes. Much. It's like 500 plus, right? Yeah. Huge number of costumes. And because There's they couldn't like find them anywhere. Yeah. You know, they couldn't find them anywhere and it was way too expensive. And then, you know, the armor, they made over 27,000 pieces of armor for this film. It's kind of like when we watched Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. It was real armor. Yes. You know, these, this was a little different, but, you know, it was made by Rod Vass and his company Armor Dillo. Where they, uh, it's they, a clever name. Yes. Yeah, it's where they, made, they revolutionized <laughs> making armor for films for this film. Um, so that's why it feels so real. And that's why, you know, it's got nominated for costume design. Did it, did it win? I think it, I think it might have won for costume. Might have. I'm not yeah. sure. We should have it. Um, we should. We should know <laughs> these things. Uh, and like you talked about earlier, it was shot in three different locations. Um, the opening battle was in the, the one that was filmed in Germania. It was shot in Bourne Woods near uh, Surrey in England, which they found out. Uh, Ridley Scott found out that they were going to get rid of they were going to go deforest this whole thing they were getting rid of it anyway so he's like how about you guys let me take care of that and they just burned the we'll thing just the burn ground. the forest down yeah he was really smart about how he used his locations on his sets on top of yes he did get a place that was already going to be deforested but the England has really harsh restrictions or at the time had really harsh restrictions on like animals absolutely so like things like the the dog hell is supposed to be a wolf they had to change that they used a zoo's animals yeah when so they were they in morocco could, from morocco so they didn't have to deal with imports and exports of these large dangerous animals like he was very smart about the avenues he took yeah. creating the very real set that we see yeah i mean like he saw the coliseum in rome he's like this isn't big enough this isn't grand enough. We yeah. need to make our own. I thought that was pretty cool. So they only built a third of it. Yeah. They, they built a third of it to scale, 50 feet high, and the rest of it's CG. Mm-hmm. But all the scenes where you have to have a backdrop, and it, they would rotate, and they'd shoot with this one, the third of the yeah, Coliseum. It's like, it's like doing... It's like what they do in theater. Mm-hmm. When you have those tri-sets where you just rotate it, and it's another room. It's another room. It's another yeah. room. So it's the same type of thing. And uh, they built that first Coliseum that he fought in out of mud and brick. Like, yeah. This was a real Coliseum that they built, yeah. just like they would back in the day. Did, insane. did you know that they offered the sets to be the basis of a theme park? 
Really? They offered the sets to be a basis of a theme park, but the, uh, they were shut down. Because they were like, well, we have these sets. Come in you here could, and like, fight make tigers. A theme park. And uh, they said no. So let's talk just a little bit before we move on to Critical and Box Office about uh, what you just mentioned, some of the franchising that was going on with this movie. One of the arguments that I made when we talked about right, not doing this film this was that. Great! I thought, because I, I, I was thinking long and hard about reasons to disqualify this movie. Ben and I, for, for you audience, we have been debating whether or not to do this movie for a couple months. And it's there's been, like, strong, strong arguments on both heated sides. arguments. Very heated. Like, storming like, out like, of the out. room. Right, it was a good day, Ben. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you yeah. tomorrow. Like, me just storming off angrily. Very. Uh, when we went through and did the research for this film, and, like, we've talked about with the writing and all mm-hmm. that, and, and, and more and more things, like, the sequel, you were, because yeah. earlier in the day, he was like, this movie can never be sequeled or franchised. And I was like, that's the, a good uh, argument. Because my argument was that if you think about a lot of the movies we would do on the show, there are movies that you could remake or you could make a sequel. And in theory, like, e- you know, even a movie as classic as, say, like, The Rock, which is, like, one of my favorites, you could remake The Rock. You could yeah. remake Con Air. I mean, people might argue, but, you know, it hasn't been that long. Point like, break. Could easily it right now. It's, making, yeah. Absolutely. And movies like Terminator, that's part of a franchise. So when sequels happen, if it's franchise, you can just keep making them. In my mind, I was like, you'd never see Gladiator 2. You'd never see... And I was like, you, you know, you would... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But wait, what did there's you know? more. And yeah. they wouldn't remake it. It won Best Picture. How are you going to remake Gladiator? I mean, maybe 50 years from now, and we looked up, and, and it turns out, during production, there was a sequel and a prequel both... Right. Both in the works. Which is funny because the prequel got scrapped immediately. It got scrapped within a year after this movie came out. And that was the one with the most, like, real premise. It was like, we'll go back before this all happened and follow Maximus and his journey to becoming general. And they're like, nah, that's stupid. I but got a better sequel, idea. The sequel is absurd. So basically the sequel, I believe written by Franzoni, yes. uh, and not Genius. approved, <laughs> was that Maximus gets resurrected by the, by by the, the Greek the, gods yeah. uh, and then has to fight... And gets transported by, like, some sort of magic to World War II to fight Hitler, yeah. to Vietnam, and then to the modern-day Pentagon, uh, where he's, like, My supposed to save... My Rudius. I want some coffee. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> and so they were like, this is not believable. We can't We can't do this. This is not going to happen. The best thing is that, that Crow, so it was Crow and Franzoni that were like, oh, no, it was Fro, uh, Crow and Wick. Yeah. They were like, we're going to do this. This is a good idea. This is a good idea, guys. <laughs> Yeah. So that didn't happen. Anyway, the fact that, that I mean, Eggers was never made, but the fact that that was in production just is even more proof that the people involved in this movie were like, no, 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 this, yeah, it won an Oscar. We'll just keep going. Let's just keep, let's keep let's the keep, gravy let's train keep the going. Rolling, yeah. We can do it. Uh, another interesting about production is that it cost the the studio three point two million dollars to uh, CG and body double and reshoot scenes that had you know Oliver Reed in them. Yeah, because um, originally they had Oliver Reed and Proximo. I mean, excuse me, Proximo and Maximus fighting. Yeah. Uh, like, they were supposed to duke it out. And I think instead of the Tigress of Gaul, it was supposed to be Proximo. Uh, they ended up rewriting that because he died, obviously. And right. then at the end, it was Proximo that was actually the one burying the dolls, not oh. Jaiman Hansu. Um, I like the way that it turned out. It would have been interesting to see the other way, especially because that relationship between the two and the fact that Proximo is one of the greatest gladiators of all time. Right. You know, he's one of the only ones that ever gets freed. One of my favorite lines when he's like, you knew Marcus Aurelius. He's like, yeah. I did not say I knew him. I said he touched me on the shoulder once. Yeah. Such <laughs> it's a like, great Jesus, line. all right, all right, calm down, dude, calm down. Uh, oh, I love that reaction. Yeah. It's the best reaction. <laughs> it's, it was interesting reading about it. There was an insurance policy in production that they, they were insured for up to $25 million to reshoot all the scenes with Reed. But everybody was so frustrated and tired with the movie already right. that they were like, nah, we'll just CG and rewrite it. We don't want to have to pull everybody back in. Because they, they had to recast it. Mm-hmm. They would have had to reshoot every scene yeah. he was in. 
yeah. uh, and that uh, and that company that did the CG for that also did the CG with the tigers, uh, right. the CG in the beginning with like the smoke and the arrows and the mm-hmm. pots, and then also they turned what looked what was four thousand people into thirty five thousand people. By oh. shooting them at different angles yeah. inside the Coliseum so that they could make this massive audience. And for being made 15 years ago, I would say this is one of the movies that, for me, the CG really does hold up. It does, it yeah. It does. There's, there's only that one moment. And even when you saw it in 2000 for the first time is when they first pull up to the Coliseum and it's mm-hmm. a very cg like the yeah. fires, the flames. Yeah. It looks a lot like the very beginning of Gangs of New York. Yeah. When they, like, zoom out and it's, like, this massive, like, group of yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, the CG is phenomenal in this. Yes. It really is done very well, and it's, it's subtle. Good. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, let's talk about how this movie was received critically. Obviously, it won Best Picture, won Best Actor. Uh, people loved it. Yes, people loved it. Didn't win Best Director, though. It didn't. And it and uh, that's one of those things that we were talking about, is when a film wins... I mean, because that hadn't happened in a long time. It was somewhere in the Somewhere in, like, the 50s. Yeah, it was, like, mm-hmm. the 60s or 50s was the last, the last time. the last time was, like, All the King's Men. Yeah, where we made a, a movie Penn. that won Best... Uh, actor and film did not win Best Director. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's a testament to why we're doing it on the show. This movie was not supposed to be what it was. No, it was a big commercial piece of crap that turned out to be awesome. <laughs> you watch your words. <laughs> bite your tongue. Uh, so, yeah, DreamWorks was the studio. Um, obviously, this was another film that helped really put them on the map, mm-hmm. um, which is funny that if you think about DreamWorks at, in 2000, up against Pixar in 2000. Right. And then, like, a few years later, as Pixar was just blockbuster after blockbuster, the DreamWorks really started to, like, move into their own... Into the their animated. Own. Yeah. Yeah. And find a lot of success there. But, uh, yeah, $103 million opened uh, just before summer in May of 2000. Domestic, $187 million, which is obviously strong. Made it, I think they said that it made its, all of its money back within the first two weeks or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. But what's really funny is that that trailer did not look like a hundred million dollar movie. I don't know. The trailer's pretty good. Yeah, trailer yeah, we looked like really a thirty excited. million we dollar were really movie. Excited by that. The trailer was <laughs> not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, worldwide, another two sixty nine to bring it to a total of four hundred fifty seven million dollars. Mm-hmm. And we do have Ridley Scott's career adjusted totals. Uh, we'll get to the the, the, the highest grossing film of two thousand in a second here. But uh, it is interesting if you look at how much money this movie made compared to everything else he ever did. Right and. Uh, if you look at the adjusted numbers, this is still his number one film of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. even uh, though we've got the other graphic up right now. But yeah, Ridley Scott, the fact that this is his number one movie of all time, and you think of all the movies he's made, I mean, with Alien is number two. Yeah. With, when it adjusted. Yep. So, Gladiator's better than Alien? Yeah. I, I guess, yeah. Here, <laughs> I'll say it. Here you go. Yeah, Hannibal, American yeah. Gangster, Black Hawk, Prometheus, Robin Hood, Black Rain. I mean, look Rain. at that. Look at that. I mean, Black Rain. Uh, other than that. Black Rain's actually kind of sweet. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. Uh, but look at that. Look at this guy. Look at what he does and the amount of m- money he makes and the success of these films. Yeah. Uh, American Gangster was kind of a letdown for me. Yeah, I'm not, was, a, big, not a big right. fan of that movie. No, it wasn't super great. A lot of people love that movie, though. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that's pretty interesting and, and that this is this is the pinnacle. This yeah. is the pinnacle in a lot of ways of and, his career. And it should be, I mean, so and, I'm and, happy. Yeah, and you made this discussion that we talked about. We're going to have this on the show this week. What is Ridley Scott's greatest movie? Is it Gladiator? Is it Alien? Or is it Blade Runner? And they all do different things for different genres. This movie won Best Picture, Best Actor, and made the most money. And, it, well, I mean, you can't talk about it sparking inspiration for other movies because the other two obviously did that, probably more so than this one. I mean, I think that if you're going to really, if you're going to really go with the conversation of greatest versus favorite, this is not in the same conversation as the other two movies. This is a great movie that won Oscars that is exceptionally popular. It's never even referenced in the same conversation those others two are. Those, like I said, those other two movies are literally number one 
like they might be number one and number two as far as For like sci-fi. the most important movies to their genre. Right. I mean, incredibly, I think Blade Runner is his greatest movie. Alien's great, but I think Blade Runner is like iconic in a way that most movies aren't. I will only deal with favorites in this conversation. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> Gladiator wins. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> two against one. Fair enough. Uh, outside of the table. And then the uh, the other graphic we have is of the top grossing R-rated movies of 2000. Which yeah. there's a lot of other good... I mean, Scary Movie, first of all, I know it sounds like a joke, but that movie is massively successful. And so is the franchise. And I remember after the first one was made, the Wayans brothers were like, I'm not doing this anymore. We're not going to make this a franchise. We're not going to do this movie again. And the producer of uh, Miramax, one of the head... I mean, owners came up to their house himself yeah. with a $100 million check. It's like, if you guys write this movie, this is yours. And they're like, okay. The second we'll, scary we'll movie? Do another one. Yeah. I mean, the first one was massively successful. It did not cost anything to make. It was very cheap. <laughs> and it made that much money. And then you got Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, The Patriot. Like, this was a great year it's for good year for movies. Yeah. But what Gladiator yeah. has is it does hit more demographics. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Completely. Massively popular. This is what people made exceptions for for their family members to see. Absolutely. movies. It got every age demo, like male, female. Just everyone needed to see it. Yeah. I saw this at a fifth grade sleepover with like four of my best buddies, and we were all just blown away by it. Yeah. That was really cool myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Critical. IMDb, eight and a half. It's uh, somewhere in the 40s of the Number top 250. Number top 250, one of Ben's favorite lists out there on the internet. Do you like that list, Sarah Stratton? Do you think that the top 250 on IMDb is a, is a, real, is a real thing? We, we have a really good thing going right now, Sarah. Don't ruin this. <laughs> I... I'm not a huge fan of IMDb lists in general. Yeah, Um, when you (laughs) because like they have they have a lot. They have like top actors in their 30s, top actors of all time, and I think that about 70 percent of what they say is accurate. So, is their 250 list my 250 list? No, but 70 percent of it would be on the same. Probably about there. Yeah, my argument was that it's accurate up to 80 percent, but. It, the order is erroneous, but if you right. if you swapped out twenty percent of the movies on that list, then I think it would be accurate. Yeah, but totally. I couldn't tell you exactly. See, and I meant like seventy percent. Yeah, like it's like they're fine. I agree. I agree. But I do think that that's the best top two fifty list. So out by there. both accounts, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, it's number. It's got seventy six percent, seventy and eighty seven percent for the all critics, top critics, and audience ratings on on Rotten right. Tomatoes. Um, 87% makes sense from the audience. Totally. That would reflect its popularity. The top critics giving it 70% reflects sort of my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think the which all... interesting because Ebert originally... I wish, I wish we could have uh-huh. found his... Uh, he did not like this movie, no. which is weird because he's he likes movies like this. Yeah. And especially of this quality. Like, it seems like it'd be totally up his alley. So right. I wish I could find his review to see what he had to say negatively about it. Yeah, we have a couple of reviews here that we can uh, we'll, we'll reference then we, we got to get rolling on the show cuz we're running a little short on time when I get to all of the interactive stuff here. Fun stuff. I want to take these uh Oh uh, yeah, sure. So Colin Covert of the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune wrote that Gladiator is a triumph. On the surface it's a terrific yarn with strong rounded characters, agonizing suspense and visceral thrills. Look closely and you'll find a rich historical themes and a harrowing critique of violence as amusement. Um huh. that's that's what an interesting way to sum up this movie. Yeah, yeah. right? Like, that's, that, that sums up this movie perfectly. And it's... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with the dude. And the negative review... <laughs> Why don't you Should take that one, Should we even mention David yeah. Denby? David Denby. You're David <laughs> dead to me. Nice! <laughs> Whammy! Ridley Scott thrusts us so close to the combat that all we see is a lot of whirling and thrashing. A sword thrust here, here and there, a spurt of blood, limbs severed. There's hardly a scene that is cleanly and coherently staged in open space. That is interesting. And that's that's why we pulled this, is because when we were talking about the opening scene, 
um, that was your biggest argument with it. Yeah, it's just it's and, and some of that actually has to do with the uh, exposure rate, uh, the frame rate, yeah. because they went way long. They went way long filming it. So some of some of those like blurred, weird, grainy looking scenes are intentional, and it's yep. it's to make up for the fact they ran out of time. But yeah, they also, would, they would, oh, wasn't sorry, it also to cover some of their lighting issues? Absolutely, yeah. yeah the exactly. lighting for the for they running out of time, because it was nighttime, the, the light was just not right, so they would slow down their frame rate, and they'd put the same frame in, like, several times. Yeah. So that's why it got that gritty, slow yeah. motion, like... And I think... Feel. It's the same argument that we kind of made about uh, several other action films or action-y movies around the same time. Mm-hmm. Born Identity, Batman Begins. A lot of the action in those movies within those same years, it's very, like... It feels fake. It's too close. Sometimes, yeah. You can't really see the movements. Nowadays, I think it seems to be that there's much more of a focus in films on really, really wide shots showing us the action. Right. Tightly choreographed. Yes, exactly. Uh, and it's not quite as loose. And I think that a lot of the stuff in the battle at the beginning is, is a little too close. Even and though just, that's still one of my greatest, like, my favorite battle scenes of all time. Yeah. It doesn't compare to those in Lord of the Rings. No. Or you know even I mean? just, like, Game of Thrones does right. it better. Yeah, but it's also, like time and things that develop and technology mm-hmm. yeah, and absolutely i'm personally very happy about the nature that they film this in the style the lighting the blur because i think that's part of the timelessness to it for me yeah like i there's still a believability attached right because imagine if they would have tried to force it to make it look yeah. cooler and then it just looks like shit 15 years yeah. later it didn't i didn't watch it and it didn't strike me as the, that this is bad it just right. was like i can see that this is developed like, since uh, mm-hmm. if this then this yeah, yeah exactly so speaking of that scene what do you guys think is the ultimate action scene in this movie i mean what is the one that really stands out to you you know what we're going to show here what we talk about at the scene the final scene the fight scene mm-hmm. between commodus and maximus which is probably not the one that I think is the ultimate action scene, but right. probably the one that is my favorite. I think there's a few. It has the best action moment. Yeah. You're talking about has, the opening? Or no, no, you're talking about the, the end. Okay. The ending gotcha. scene is the best action moment. As a full action scene, I don't think I'd give it to that. No. Yeah. I would give it, for me, I was thinking about what do I automatically remember? Like, what is the action that I can visualize yeah. um, accurately? And that goes to the chariot scene. Yep, the Battle of Carthage. You're like, that is what I see. I always remember the battle in the beginning mm-hmm. and I always am exhilarated by it, yeah. but I can't picture it running in my mind. Right. When I think of Gladiator, I can see the woman getting sliced in half. Yes. Yeah. I can see the pillars forming. I can see all of the formations. Yeah. It just has stuck with me for so long. It hits every note that you want out of a great action scene. Mm-hmm. The Battle you of got, Carthage? Yeah. yeah you've got the good. suspense. You've got, you know, the big dude gets shot in the leg and Maximus saves him. Yeah. He gets on the horse. He twirls the sword. And I love that. That's like one of the only moments of comedy in this movie is when Maximus does that and you're sitting there watching you're like, ooh. It's like, then it cuts the comedy. It's, ooh. You yeah. know, like making fun of him. But it's the same thing. It's got the chariots, the battle, that they all come together and, and it's got the, in the beginning, he's like, did any of you serve? He's like, I served with you in Vindabona. Yeah. And so he takes over. He immediately reclaims this general position that you right. want to see. Um, what about you? What, did you think there's a, a more true action scene? You know, it's... The other one that's super awesome is when he is when he fights like the six guys at once yeah. in the Coliseum. Yeah. But that's just like Russell Crowe's a badass. Also, beginning. a really good moment is it's not as much of an action scene, but the pace of it is yeah. when he is escaping or when Proximo is letting him go. Right. The pace of that scene... Yeah, it's very is, exciting. It's fast. It's fast moving. There's the escape routes. Like, you are gearing up for both a fight, but watching your main hero escape. Mm-hmm. To me, that's always an interesting take. Yeah, I mean, unrelated to the ultimate action scene, something that we, we were talking about when watching this is that even now, and I've seen this movie 12 or 15 times over the years, probably, like... <laughs> that's it? Yeah. <laughs> that is true. I watched that... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I've seen it a lot of times, but I mean... 
I remember seeing it as a kid and thinking that the whole time having hope that he was going to get out of it and that he was going to make it. Right. And even this time watching it, though, I was sort of like every time one of those things would happen where it's like, you're going to get out still. You're going to get out. They've taken they've taken uh, Graxus, uh, you know, but I'm going to get you out. Gracchus. And and uh, even though I know it's not going to work out, you're still kind of like you're still kind of hopeful. Yeah, and you then, forget how suspenseful this movie really is. Yeah. And at the end, the, in the last moment when he's dying, you're like, no, save him. You're like, save him. Don't let him die. What yeah. are you doing? He's, he's come so far. How can he die now? Uh, Which but, is interesting. Did you did you read that the so the original Commodus, the true uh, Caesar Commodus, he was known as the Gladiator Emperor, mm-hmm. and he would constantly go in and, and battle in the arena, and people loved him for it in the beginning. But yeah, then he started charging outlandish rates to go into there, and then he would he'd get like cripples and people with missing limbs and tie them together and just like club them to death. Jeez. So what what you found out later on for, through historians is that when Commodus would go in the ring. Unbeknownst to him, his guards would do exactly what he did to Maximus at the end of this film. They oh. would stab them in the back and cover up their wound so that they were weak when fighting the Emperor. Right. Which is an awesome, awesome call to in this film. When yeah. He does it, which is also one of my greatest, my one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. When he stabs him? Just, yeah, that that, that, inter, that interaction they yeah. have. He's like, you know, you love my father, but I loved him too. You yeah. Know, things like that. So smile with me now, brother. Like, all these things. Like, it's such a great scene. It is. Yeah, we'll cue it up here while we're chatting. But it, uh... Yeah, let's get that fight going. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I, I it's it's another one of those moments where like there's all these things that have happened in the movie that are calls to the action movie genre. And one of them, one of them is obviously early when the guy tries to wake him up, and he wakes yeah. up and he's got the knife. Yeah, total action movie hero, like action hero moment, right? Yeah, never sleeps, never really asleep. Even in this battle, like, so I was saying, I was like, it's it's classic, like a action movie villain he's mm-hmm. naive mm-hmm. because he's, he's not like a badass really so he's never been in like an adrenaline battle where he would right. actually he's like oh I'll stab you and you'll die it's like no. uh, actually he's the general and he's if you're the, trying to kill him he's all gonna kill yeah. you it doesn't matter if he's bleeding he'll just get through the pain and kill you still yeah. uh, but what I love is that when the sword goes down and, and he says my favorite line he's Quint's sword and he brings out the dagger it's like such a little bitch yeah mo- it's such a little like shiny like emperor dagger but he doesn't beat him with a sword or a knife he no. does it in true 90s action movie <laughs> status for just punching him a bunch of times yeah. that's like what Harrison Ford like does in Air Force 1 strength yeah. yeah it's just like punch you punch you again knee to the face uh, it's funny. I had this call, uh, this this memory, this vivid memory of when I used to play football. I did the same thing that he would do because I was I loved this movie so much. Before games, I would pick up dirt in oh, my hands. Hand. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just thought it was so cool. It's just there's so many parts of this this scene that are over the top. It's like a- they're in a bed of roses. Yeah. He is wearing full white. Yeah. When you get to the point, like this, the the sound dynamic has changed from almost the entire rest of the film when you're in the arena. Like, yeah. the audience is pretty much muted. Like, yeah. they're not loud. When yeah, you, you get into them. the actual stabbing, like, there's a lot of silence in this scene. And when it's he, just like... When he kills him and then it just goes yeah. dead silence. It's actually very effective. Yeah. It's, it, ama- it's very Just effective. the cinematography through this and everything. It's just... It is a great, great scene. Yeah, I mean, I was one of the behind-the-scenes features I was watching. You know, Crow's talking. He's like, I mean, yes, yeah, so, so yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Sword, give me a sword. Sheed your swords. That's awesome. Sword, give me a sword. <laughs> We're already set. No, I love it. That's yeah, awesome. Um, uh, no, one of the things I was going to say is that it's it's funny. Crow's talking, and he's like. I mean, the amount of time it takes to film the number of action sequences. He's like, this one camera and this, there's 80 moves in the sequence. 
I do all 80 moves, and then we do it again with another setup. Right. You know, it's crazy. Like, the, it goes so fast, but, I mean, filming something like this takes a long time. It's funny. Like, you can see a little bit of Tony Scott pulling from his brother in yeah. these films. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that slow down. That, yes, I love it. He There's just, your he punch. just beats He just beats him up. Just straight up brute strength. Yeah. That's Harrison Ford right there. That's right. Dislocates his arm. And then the knee to the face. That's my other that. fist pump moment. Yeah, the, the knee to the, the face. face is great. Um, let's uh, let's get into favorite lines, hero villain rankings, and recast before we run out of time here, guys. All right. So uh, favorite line. I mean, I, this feels this feels to yeah, me like I mean, we're doing Independence Day again. And it's the Bill it's the Bill right. Pullman speech. Like I'm Maximus Decimus Meridius, Commander of the Armies of the North, yeah. General of Felix Legions. Like it's everyone knows. That. Husband to a murdered wife, also, father to a murdered son. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Yeah. Is great. What we do in life echoes through eternity. Is great. Little B, busy little B, busy little bees. I hate that line. Really? It's because of the way he he does it. Oh, I love it. That was one of the ones no, that I remember great. watching as a kid. Love it. Just. But it's so good. It is. Yeah. For me, it's definitely the monologue. It's the yeah. It's shadows the, and dust. Yeah. It's another good one. Awesome. <laughs> So yeah, I mean this again. This whole movie is is just filled with favorite line and fist pump moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So by the way, guys, share your favorite lines and your your hero villain ranking and your recast with us. Your recasts are very often the the most fun thing in the comments, and and you will often come up with people that we just completely forget. Yeah. So you guys are better at it than we are. We've come to terms with it. Well, there's like a group of them, and they get more time to marinate. We're doing it live. Oh. Yeah. All right, okay. it's excuses. Yeah, it's excuses. <laughs> we prepped the show for a week. Um, so yeah, where do, where do the hero and villain rank all time? And I'll tell you right now. Ooh. Maximus Decimus Meridius is the greatest action hero uh, of all wow. time. It's so unfair. Wow. He does everything for his murdered wife and son. He's a gladiator. He's a general of one of the greatest armies of all time. He kills the bad guy himself by shoving a dagger through his throat, and then he dies. It's like the only, like comparable is like is definitely Braveheart. Very close. The same type of guy. Maximus is better. I will give Hero top seven. Top seven. Wow. Top seven. I love him for all the reasons you just said. I just sometimes... There's a difference between saving Rome and saving the world. And sometimes I do have to give my hero cards to saving the world or saving the Which galaxy. Which did save the world because he killed the worst Caesar yeah, of all time. No, it doesn't. The stakes... I love his stakes. I love that this is a hero that's driven by a little bit of a, a darkness and mm-hmm. revenge. And he, like, ends up doing well for Rome. Right. But that's not why he sets on this journey. Um, but there are other thero- heroes that do make my top seven who, you Probably know, little, they yeah. save planets from exploding okay. or whatnot. Okay. So for me, this is my one gripe still with this movie, is that I don't think it's fair to include these characters on the same list that we put the other ones on. I just... It feels unfair to me to put Rambo, First Blood Part Two, Rambo, and Dutch from Predator in the same conversation as Marcus Decimus Meridius, Maximus Decimus Meridius. It's just not fair. Get his name right. Yeah, or I will fight you. <laughs> like, not to say that, because if you're going to go by that, like, I guess if this guy qualifies, there's a lot of characters that we disregard that are, like, you sort of have to start to fringe in and say. Such as. Well, like, we, we've said that we probably won't ever do an Indiana Jones movie on this show. Mm-hmm. It feels too adventury. But if you're going to do this and you're going to step outside of it, I understand that the movie does qualify. I don't argue that. It does. But it just doesn't... This is the one part of it that I feel like it's not fair. I feel like you're taking... You're taking a character... because he's so much better than them. (laughs) That's why. Because if this movie fits our genre, he's a better hero. And you're saying that... You're exactly saying that right now. You're saying you can't compare him to Dutch. Yeah, you can't because he's way more of a badass than Dutch. Boom. 
<laughs> Drop the mic. He's not even in my top ten. No, you're so full of shit. You were so full of shit. You told me he's top three. You're a liar. I never, I never said that. I never said. All right, he's we're, cut to black. I, this is like Ben's begins. dead. This is one. We promise every week that you guys will eventually get the graphic. I swear to God, it's coming. Eventually, you'll get it. And when we do it, I'll decide. For now, I'll give him top three. Yes, you ah! will. Yes, you will. Yeah. I hate uh-huh. it. You don't. He's the greatest, man. And and, and <sighs> to juxtapose that, it's because the villain is such a top weasel. Five. He's the top five villain. Absolutely. Five. Not an Might even movie. be top three. Top it's an action five, movie. You sure. know it is. We sat there, and this movie's two and a half hours long. Ah. Ben was squirming the whole time because he's like, this movie fits. This is exactly our movie. These are exactly our characters. I hate it. Embrace I hate it. it so much. Embrace it. I love it. This is like, this is the proudest moment of my life Doesn't right now. Doesn't this kind of make you happy? Oh, it makes you so happy. You have no idea. Uh, top three with uh, for Commodus. He's... Top five for Commodus. Okay. Yeah. Top. No. <laughs> He's not even worth talking He's top about. ten. He's to- I'm not going to say where. That's fine. Top- I'll take top ten. He's not as good as Philip Seymour Hoffman in Mission Impossible 3. Yeah, he is. He's not. He is. Did Philip get nominated for supporting actor? For no, he just won the Oscar the year before. Oh, did he? Yeah. That doesn't matter. That's for Capote. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Before I'm going to elect Capote good. as the, <laughs> the next yeah. movie. We're doing Capote next week. Time to move on. Uh, this is recast, guys. Um, you can let me know if you think Andrew's a fool. I'm sorry. Uh, let me know if you think the recast is is awesome. If you if you don't agree with it, if you have other ideas, uh, we did list six characters, but only four were required because yeah. obviously it takes quite a bit of time. The four are going to be Jaimon Hunsu, Connie Nielsen, Joaquin Phoenix, and Russell Crowe. Which is funny because we did not talk about Jaimon Hunsu once throughout this whole entire show, other than like a quick moment. We can say that he's awesome and well, beautiful. That's pr- proof once again in my book that this movie is way closer to a '90s action movie than anything else because he's an integral character to the story, but he's also completely irrelevant and doesn't. It's not it like his performance. It's not like his performance is bad. It's totally reasonable. But I yeah. mean, the performance of some of the Marines in The Rock are good. The performance of some of the secondary characters in Point Break are good. Like he just doesn't really stand out. This movie comes down to two characters and a bunch of action and some sweet lines and then a bunch of like '90s action trash. Uh, that's what it is. And that's why it's awesome. And that's why it's a great movie and why it fits. So, Jamin Hunsu, who do you guys want to start with? <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'm just reading. Are people just talking smack well, to me? No, no, they're just hilarious. I, I love you. I love you, audience. That's I'm, all I'm, I'm really say. curious what you guys did because I, when recasting this, was like, okay, do I stick to kind of like the age guidelines of mm. the original cast? That is something that we do and try to do a lot. Yeah, so yeah. That, that is you what creative, I try huh? to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who's starting this? Uh, it sounds like you should. It sounds I mean, like you are. Yeah. So I did, I made lots of options, and one of the pairings that I realized, I cast the Macbeth, the new Macbeth um, film coming out, because mm-hmm. I cast Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard wow. as I mean, leading people in this. Um, that's strong. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are both Michael great. And we use a lot of Fassbender and Hardy on this show. They're yeah. like kind of I mean, the two. That's really Fassbender funny because I have Fassbender here. next to Hardy, yep. but I put Fassbender because there's for, a for different who? for Russell Crowe. Oh, for you Maximus. cast Fassbender as Maximus? Uh huh. What? No, yep. he's got to be Commodus. In that he's state. too small. He's too little. No. no, he's he could do it. I guarantee he has the intellect. Oh, he has the chops. There's he no has doubt. the chops and the he's intellect. Great actor. And I believe his physicality. No, he's definitely Joaquin Phoenix if he's anybody. Joaquin Phoenix is younger. Yes, Commodus has to be 20s. You guys are both five. Commodus 
Commodus in history is 18 when he becomes emperor. He has to be cast by someone in his 20s. And I'm giving it to, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but Ewan Rowan? He plays oh, Ramsay yeah. Bolton in oh, Game of yeah. Thrones. Yep. But you need someone who's young. There's supposed to be a 10-year age gap. He's got the crazy You have ass. to believe that Maximus has a kid, a wife, has been a seasoned commander. And you need that juxtaposition. Like, it's hard because Joaquin Phoenix does... He's a childish character, but he does it with such maturity mm, that yeah. he... You almost think he's older. It's fair. But he is supposed to be in his 20s. Well, why don't we... So, why don't you do your full recast? Because it sounds like we're jumping around characters. And oh, then we'll, yeah. And then you'll do your full and all those good. Russell yeah. Crowe, Mike Fassbender, yep. okay. Joaquin Phoenix, Ewan Rowan, Connie Nielsen, Nielsen Marion Cotillard. It's very good. Um, I'm... Urgh. I still haven't really decided my... Can I skip to Richard Harris and Oliver Reed? Please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christopher Plummer. That's great. Richard yeah. Harris. Mm-hmm. And Oliver Reed combined with the Titus character. Because that's what... Tigress. So, Tigress, thank mm-hmm. you. Combined. Because that's who the, originally the character is supposed to be. Okay. <laughs> Mickey Rourke. Yeah, we love oh, Mickey Rourke. Oh, that's great. We use a lot that's of Mickey Rourke in here, That's too. a very like, good cast. Combined because he gets to fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. I like yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to get back to... Chimen. Yeah. To, to your irrelevant supporting character. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's I feel, either, I feel it's bad saying David it. David or um, Jason Mitchell, who just did Easy and I, Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough because he's good in this film. Yeah. He's not bad in any mm. moment. Or you're no. just like, ah, Jimon sucks. It's also he's, like his he, most. It's his, like his most famous movie. It's his most mm-hmm. memorable. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do yours? Or you want you want me to go? Go ahead. Oh. Mm. Okay. All right. So uh, I'm going to go with my honorable <laughs> mentions first. Okay. For Richard Harris, I did Ian McKellen. Okay. Okay. Uh, for Oliver Reed, I did Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson's oh, great. Okay. Oh, I almost did Brian Cox, uh, but I think Brendan Gleeson would be better. Which yeah. they're both okay. in Troy, and they both can yeah. like f- fight. But so that's my honorable mentions. Um, for Jaiman Hansu, it's tough because I had Idris Elba originally because cool. I just love him. Um, but I ended up going with. Uh, Shawatel Ejiofor, yeah, uh, the guy from Children of Men. I, seriously, dude, your name is—I can't even begin. Uh, I did him. I think he'd be great. Uh, I also had Michael B. Jordan um, because he's younger, and that'd be good. Mm-hmm. But with what with the age, I went with other people. I think it fits. So I did uh, Natalie Portman for Connie Nelson. Mm. She's uh, great. I did Oscar Isaac for Joaquin Phoenix, which very good. That's the one okay. I'm most proud of. I think that's phenomenal. Who's your? It's Tom Hardy. Yeah, it's, it is. Like I, me too. You have to have. <laughs> I know we try to stay away from him on the show now because we use him so much. Yeah. But in this role, really, this is one of my favorite movies of all time, if not my favorite. Who do I want to watch do this again? Tom Hardy Martin. would be... I, I had Hardy as my second pick. My problem is finding the right dynamic of the three. And with Tom Hardy, I just... Uh, I don't know about like that that three core dynamic between the three of them to believe the kind of ex-love interest the, that he's the son of... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, because it'd be, it'd be Tom Hardy playing opposite Oscar Isaac, which I can see, but then you have Tom Hardy with Natalie Portman. Yes. That's a little... That's a little... That off. love interest. I went with Tom Hardy and the other Natalie Portman from Star Wars Episode One, <laughs> yeah. Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley, right. Because I think she's the correct age at this point. She's not. She, she is. No. She's in her 30s now. She plays young 30s. She could look... She, she. You believe that... I don't believe her yet as, like, the mother of a 10-year-old who has the capability of being the person who should be running an empire. Like, she doesn't have 
mom quality to me, and that's a that, key component to that role. Like, you have, have to be a mom. Thinking about Natalie Portman, even though she is a mom now, but her mm-hmm. child is much younger, and mm-hmm. Keira Knightley. I thought that they might be a little too young. But um, again, with makeup and all that stuff, it's I not think, about that. It's the maturity. It's the womanhood. Like this isn't about an ingenue. Well, like this I'm, is not a character of an ingenue. They specifically reference in the beginning that she has already been, she's been a little it. bit of a snake. Like she has developed beyond that point. Well, it's a good thing this is my recast, and you've already done yours. <laughs> uh, I like Kira Knightley a lot. I still have a crush on her. I have since the first Pirates movie, and right. I think she'd be great. Um, I went with Benedict Cumberbatch yep. for uh, great. yeah for Joaquin Phoenix. I went with David Oyelowo from Selma for uh, for Jim Honsu, mm-hmm. and I went with Tom Hardy for Russell Crowe. And for exactly the same reason that you said, like I, I try to stay away from it yeah. because it's so easy because he's like so good at just being a badass. But like he's there's no one that I can think of that has like the the masculinity like the machismo right now yeah I mean he's surly he's rugged he's he's like he's hate filled with hate you know yeah I mean like basically Crow in this movie is so so masculine it's like he's yeah he's just pure balls and like Tom Cardi's the only guy I can think of right now that could pull off balls quite that level right now it's like I tell my son to keep his feet up when he's riding his horse what do you say to your wife what do I say to my wife that's not your business. Yeah. <laughs> Even then, he has like that line of just like, all right, there's the, there's the man in the Crow's side. more charming, I think. Hardy hasn't really quite found the charming thing yet. He's a little creepy still. Yeah. Tom Hardy's a little bit lone wolf. Yeah. Yes. But so and, is Crow. I mean, they're both known for being assholes on yeah, set. Yeah, but Maximus has to also incite inspiration in all of his troops. True. Well, I believe in Tom Hardy. Fully. I believe in Tom Hardy. And I skip Richard Harris and Oliver Reed because yeah. I feel like... I, I, I it's never as fun for me to recast the older roles like this because I often feel like if the actor's still alive, in this case he's not, he could just reprise it because right. you passed a certain point where, like, if you're a 60-year-old with white hair and a white beard playing just the character, jump onto my Mickey you could be 75. Yeah, right. uh, and so I feel like for the most part, I just and I just find myself slotting in the same guys like over and over again for those right. roles. It's sort of like casting like, I've never young been able kids. to use Ian McKellen before, so I was just so happy to be able to use him. That's the only reason you wanted to just that's, recast that's the, the characters because you just wanted to say yeah. Ian McKellen. <laughs> Ian McKellen, Richard Harris, came over. Uh, yeah, so we were going we're to skip Cage versus Cruise Are this we? week. My name's Maximus Jasmus Meridius, <laughs> commander of the armies of the north. Make one from Cassius. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I think... Could I, the announcer, dude. I think that Cruise... <laughs> that's great. I think Cruise could have played... Marcus, or he could he could have played Mac. That's oh, kidding. No, he couldn't. No, he couldn't. That would have been that would have been terrible. What's your name? My name's my name's Gladiator. My name. <laughs> my oh, name. I cringe. I'm, I'm the I best. Cringe. The, the best Gladiator for the job. Um, that'd be hilarious. We're gonna reshoot this in Ben's basement. Just <laughs> as I'll be Commodus as Nick Cage. You'd be Tom Cruise as uh as Russell. Bruise you little bees. Bruise you little bees. I like honey. <laughs> All right, what, what, let's talk about our categories, if man. If we're not all in the same category on this. It's absurd. It, it, yeah. You almost don't even need to talk about it. There's three will. action movie categories, guys. There's totally legitimate, totally ridiculous, and ridiculously legitimate. Totally ridiculous is fall off a cliff of absurdity like Con Air or Face Off. Totally legit is like The Fugitive or... Born Identity. The, or Born Identity. It's movies that take themselves very seriously and succeed entirely. And then ridiculously legitimate are movies that kind of toe the line and they're awesome but you laugh at certain points and there's a great performance but they're campy and they just succeed they never really lose you they're compelling the whole way through right like Point Break or The Rock and I don't even think there's a question this movie won best fucking picture at the Oscars yeah. like this should be totally, your totally this totally is, should be your example <laughs> 
<laughs> this should be your example. We're never going to speak of this movie again. There's we, no I'm way it's going to be this movie every single week on the show. You should reference it as your totally legitimate. I'll do the outline and I'll just fill that in right there. I'll just fill it in. Uh, pop it in. Uh, yeah, it's, it's totally, totally legitimate. Legit. It's, yeah. There's no argument to be made anywhere. It's entirely, entirely legitimate. There you go. God, I love this movie so much. Aren't you so happy? I'm so happy. You Sarah, got 70, you so 70, 78 minutes out of this episode. I hope you're proud of yourself. I want to go home and Are talk to myself. Are you not in the shade? There you go. <laughs> uh, one more time, guys, before we sign off. Uh, Sarah Stratton doesn't have a Twitter. Sorry. Uh, power to you, girl. I hate Twitter. Google. But I Google like Sarah Stratton. <laughs> <laughs> I have a hashtag I've heard. Oh, what, really? is it? what is it? Get a Twitter, Sarah. Something like that. Get a, I've seen it before, yeah. Uh, you can find me at Andrew Guy on Twitter and... Thank you guys so much for watching this episode on my favorite movie. Yeah, Ben Bateman Media, Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there. One more time, guys. Go to iTunes. Write us a review. Leave us a rating. Once we get to 10 reviews, written reviews on iTunes, we're going to start giving away mugs, uh, one per episode. So so please get involved. Comment. Let us know what you think. We'll see you guys next week for Aliens? Uh, yeah, we're doing Aliens next week. Is that next week? Or is it Die Hard? Either Aliens I'm or Die Hard. Confused, you, we we do this here. show. We yeah. work here. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, Bye, guys. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.